Hello friends, welcome to Bone to Pick. I am Michael Davis and we are in for a very special treat today. We are sitting down with one of the great trumpet players of all time, Mr. Alex Sipiagin. Alex is, uh, for my money, one of the most virtuosic, inventive, and dynamic trumpet soloists of his generation. Uh, he is from Yaroslavl, Russia. He moved to New York City in 1991. He is, uh, to say the least, an acclaimed trumpeter, leader, composer. He has recorded over 15 CDs as a solo artist. He's a founding member of the supergroup Opus 5. He has appeared on hundreds of CDs as a featured sideman, including with the likes of Michael Brecker, Dave Holland, the Mingus Big Band, Gil Evans, George Gruntz, Conrad Herwig, Donnie McCaslin, just to name a few. He has also worked with a variety of pop luminaries, including Eric Clapton, Elvis Costello, David Sanborn, Aaron Neville, Dr. John, Michael Franks. Uh, he's currently on the faculty at New York University. He is also in residency, just started one with the, at the Amsterdam Conservatory in Holland, as well as the Music Academy in Basel, Switzerland. Uh, it's indeed a pleasure. I've known Alex for many years. We've done recordings together and uh, worked together in a variety of situations. So Alex, thank you so much for taking time out to, to come up to New City and talk yeah. to us today. It's my first time in this New City. <laughs> first of all, I thought you made a mistake. New York City, no, New City. <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, so nice to be here. And thank you, Michael, for in such an introduction, I'm definitely not deserving, but... Well, I, I think you deserve uh, well, it more, actually, but, uh, but, uh, uh, but thank you for, for being here, Alex, and I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be great. Yes. Well, let, let's talk about, you grew, obviously, you grew up in Russia. I, I'm fascinated to hear uh, what, what it was like for you uh, growing up in Yaroslavl and how, how you, you know, got into the trumpet and how, what, what it was like over there in terms of the, the school music programs and, and just your opportunities that you had as a young person. Well, it was still Soviet Union. Mm. I mean, it was Russia, but it was uh, Soviet Union years. I would say end of Soviet Union. And uh, I was very lucky. And in age 12, I got incredibly serious teacher mm. who was classical trumpet player. He, his name is Mikhail Tsamaev. Of course, he's not around anymore. He was playing in Moscow Symphony and St. Petersburg Symphony. Incredibly high-level trumpet players, trumpet player. So he's the one who introduced me to trumpet. And uh, from the first day, I remember I, I got totally in love with this instrument because of him. Mm. Uh, it was not jazz yet. It was just a classical music and some Martian stuff, like I played in orchestra. I was still in the school. And maybe a few years later, I heard jazz for first time by accident. It was a Dixieland. Some some street musicians play some Dixieland. Um, I really was fascinating, you know, it's improvisation. And uh, my next step was when I heard first time Lee Morgan Sidewinder. Oh, sure. Also very bad quality recording on a tape. And uh, it, during those times in Soviet Union. It's no way to get a uh, high quality reco recordings like LPs and this was no CDs. Why well, you had no access so to LPs? No, no access. I mean, it was access later, but uh, like 99% access was tapes, which was, you know, recorded all over again mm. in a very bad quality. Some of mm -hmm. these tapes was from the Voice of America. I remember it was Willis Conover. Mm. He was in Washington DC, was doing Voice of America. and. Uh, a lot of Russian musicians really try to catch these waves on the radio uh, and listen some jazz and, and tape some music from there. So one of those tapes was friend of my head. Only one song of Lee Morgan from Sidewinder album. Once I heard this, my life was changed and I remember this. <laughs> I start to imitate, transcribe. It took me like three months to transcribe the soul. I was, I was crazy about it. And like you mentioned, I was in Yaroslavl. Yaroslavl, it's an old, beautiful city, but it's a very small city, especially for jazz. And my next step was I was moving to Moscow to study to Gnesin Academy of Music, which I spent eight years. Mm. So first of all, I studied bachelor and then go to master program. And uh, of course, it was a lot more access there. Uh, I have a fantastic teachers who really support us and provide some information 
it, it was still not a lot of information, but all this information was the best, like kind of blue, red clay, you know, wow. so then, few, few Miles, few Coltrane's album, like few, few Freddy, some Clifford Brown, maybe like 10 albums all together, but we try to, you know, work on this information as much as we can, you know. That answers my question then. So there was a jazz program at... Uh, it was uh, it was a jazz program, but it jazz wasn't really welcome in a college especially. Mm. It, it's called pub department. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, we still have to, 90% 90, 90 we still have to learn how to play classical music, which is, gr which is great. It yeah. really gives us a lot of, you know... Good foundation. Good foundation sure. and stuff. But uh, pop department, of course, it was jazz, but nobody says jazz department, but even everybody play, was playing jazz and trying to trans transcribe Freddie Hubbard and Clifford Brown. And, and we have a fantastic student ensemble, which we, we used to get together every, almost every day. And my colleague Boris Kozlov, who actually playing with me oh, yeah, up sure, until now, sure. Mingus Band, we, yeah, we yeah. started together. You know. Great, great bass player. Yeah. I was in, in doing a little bit of research for this interview. I, I, I was learning about Ganesan and and, uh, and that it was a very prestigious school, similar, I guess, to Moscow Conservatory. Was I'm guessing Moscow Conservatory may not have had a jazz program at that no. point or a pop program uh, at that uh, point. Up until now, I, they don't have it. Yeah, this was incredible place to study. I don't know if you know Timofey Dakshitser. Hmm. It's no. uh, one of the legendary trumpet player, like number one at some point. He's passed away already, but he's the greatest classical trumpet player from all over the world. Hmm. And he was teaching there. Hmm. Unfortunately, I wasn't teaching. I studied with him, but everybody knew what he's talking about. Everybody knew what to practice. All this exercise. I'm doing this up until now. You know. hmm. That's great. Such a cool uh, thing. Well, let's talk a little bit about your your move to New York. Obviously, that had to have been a a huge, uh, huge decision, I would imagine, at that point. But you, I know, for many of us who are jazz uh, fans and and followers, um, the Monk competition and the Thelonious Monk Institute has become a major force in in jazz education. And and uh, back then, that was probably near the beginning of the Monk competitions that happen every year. And each year, a different instrument is mm -hmm. featured. Um, so in 1990, you you entered that competition and made it to the finals, which must have been. Uh, Incredibly uh, exhilarating. Maybe you could talk about that experience and and, and how that was coming over to to uh, perform in that situation. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It was just a coincidence. In one year, I in, ended up in in America four times. Wow! And it it wasn't my decision to stay here. Actually, it just happened step by step, day by day, and it's just led to my staying here for forever. So. Like my first visit to United States, it was uh, Texas Jazz Festival. Actually, we, we got invited with a student ensemble, also with my friend Boris, who I mentioned mm -hmm. was part of it. And we went for a very short period only to Texas, performing Texas, and was successful. This was give us a very give me a very good foundation. What, what America is about, how beautiful is here, like Texas, it was like <laughs> all the sun from Moscow to Corpus Christi, where it's like ocean, and all these people welcoming us, all this food in, from Soviet Union come to Texas, it was like, what? <laughs> like, it was daily, you know, heaven. Like, anyway, but I, I came back, back to, I came back, back to Moscow, I back to Moscow, and I, all, all I thought about when is the next time? And it was, like I said, it was a coincidence. I, 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 I had a tape which where I record maybe like seven, eight months before. And somebody told me, uh, so here is a application for Telonius Morn competition. You, you want to you use it? You want to try to send it? I said, whatever, yeah, sure. And I didn't <laughs> expect even close to to get accepted to mm -hmm. semifinals. Mm -hmm. I send it because somebody was going to the United States. I just gave this envelope and said, can you send it to me? And I completely forgot about it. I didn't even think about it. And one day I came back to my, my dorm and I see this envelope invitation from the Lonian Small Institution. And I opened this. I couldn't read English at all. And especially I couldn't speak at all. And <laughs> I, s I still have accent now. I mean, something never changed. <laughs> so but, uh, I open this envelope and I see these judges like Donald Byrd, Clark Terry, Winton Marsalis, Red Rodney, 
and uh, Snooky Young. Wow. I was like, what? So I got accepted to be in the semifinal to go in, uh, to more competition, the first trumpet competition dedicated to Louis Armstrong. And competition already next week. I was like, but it's no way, in, in Soviet Union, it's no way to get a tickets or no way to get a visa that short. Mm. It need to be like two months in advance, go to embassy, do all those bureaucratic applications, stay in, sure. in lines and wait for answer. <laughs> but for some reason, when I show this paper to American embassy, they gave me a visa like, like this. Like, it's, wow. It's unbelievable. Good luck. So I got a visa in one day. And then next step, I, I, I collect some money from all dorm guys. <laughs> Can you give me some few, few rubles? So I get a, finally I get enough money to get a plane ticket. So, and of course I arrive from snowy Moscow to beautiful sunny. I remember it was October, like Washington D.C. was hot, and I have no one dollar in the pocket. And nobody meet me. I was like I have I couldn't speak one word of English. Wow. What I'm doing next? I mean, I guess I open this paper. I, I show the taxi driver. He brought me to this hotel. For some reason, I have no money to pay. I said, somebody help me. I don't remember exactly, but somebody from hotel helped me to. So anyway, it was a lot of detail like this. I, I was hungry. I, I didn't have any money, but I ordered food by phone. Somehow I <laughs> press the button and say yes. They bring me like tons of food. I didn't realize it's, I have to pay for it. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, at the end, it's, it was all taken care of by competition. You know, oh. I, I, I had a translator, interpreter, and and I remember I was on a stage playing with those guys. It was an incredible experience. And like, like I mentioned, uh, my competitors and other trumpet players was incredible, incredible trumpet players. And up until nowadays, we work together time to time. Uh, I can mention the names. Sure. Uh, Greg Gisbert, Ryan Kaiser, and Scott Wenhold, Joe Magnarelli, and uh, Walter White, Alex Norris, uh, Jim Rotondi. I mean, all those cats I, I see all the time. We play in the Mingus Band, and other day with Gisbert and... Alex Norris, it's like man, like another day we play with Kenny Rampton and Gisbert, so it's like nothing changed. Well, amazing that that went, that went on to become the elite of the New York jazz scene. That's incredible. Yeah, it's fantastic. And um, yeah, that's, that, that, that's so basically this is the biggest step after this competition. I just understand there's no way for me to, you know, it's only way it's going west. Mm. I have mm -hmm. to come to the States and do something. I, I wasn't going to like uh, escape from Russia, immigrate or something. I, w I just want to come to New York and try something for maybe for a month or two, maybe longer. I, you know, I was very young. I didn't have any family and nothing to hold me in Moscow. And I still came back to New York after this competition. And my next trip, it's like a coincidence, like one, one after another. Uh, I used to work in... Uh, in a band in Moscow, which is like a recording band, so okay. band which record music for movies for some artists and mm. and everybody very good jazz musicians, and we got invited to New York open the Russian restaurant for one week, and we came to New York and they like us and they extend our our you know, staying for six months, so we ended up uh, work here and check some clubs and some jazz. Wow. It was it was unbelievable. So during this time, I really you know made my decision. I, I met a lot of musicians, play a lot of jams, and that is a fantastic. Thanks for sharing that story. That's an amazing yeah. story about the coming for the monk uh, competition without. Uh, yeah, and somehow uh, it was meant to be, and obviously it's meant for you to be in New York. No question. Yeah, in this time we decided to stay. I decided to stay for because I have open tickets. My visa was for another year, so I decided to just stay and check it out some more on my own. And and then revolution happened in Russia. And then I, my mother really told me it's not a good time to come back right now. Mm. It was a really disaster. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, 
At that moment, I got invited to play with the Eleven's Orchestra and some other bands, and I applied for work and visa. That's how I kind of decided to stay longer. That's awesome. So that's, so that's a beginning. So Gil was kind of like your your first arrival as a professional in in New York. And Gil wasn't around at this point. Mm -hmm. I think he passed away before, like okay. 1980. Yeah. But uh, another Gil, Gil Goldstein, he was in, in a Gil Evans orchestra, which played every Monday in Sweet Basil. I remember I played. I sit in there once. Lou Soloff, actually, Lou Soloff asked me, "Why don't you sit in?" And I played one solo and. Uh, and Miles Evans, leader, you know, Gilliam's son, leader of the band, like, hey, why did you come all next Monday, man? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I was like, really? So and it became like a regular Monday sit-in first couple of months. And then he asked me to play steady in the band, you know. And it was an incredible time when I, you know, every time I played in this band, I met, I meet some new musicians, you know, Randy Breaker and, and guys like that, you know. Delmar Brown, Alex Woster, it leads me to Mingus Band. You know, like, like everyone pretty much has the same, you know, word of mouth introduction mm -hmm. to some other places and stuff. Well, when you're playing, backs it up at the level yours does. It's a, it seems to be a very. When you look back on it, it's a natural progression. But at the time, it's a, you don't know where it's going to lead. But uh, you know, you mentioned Gil Goldstein, who. Uh, is one of the great arrangers of all time, uh, as well as Gil, Gil Evans, of course. But Gil uh, Goldstein uh, is a friend of both of ours, and we—that's, mm -hmm. I think, where we kind of some worked together the first few times. But it's always uh, must have been a, a very uh, exciting to be around him. He's such a great musician and uh, such an infectious personality. You just kind of want to be around him. He's so much, uh, so much yeah. enjoyment to be around. Especially him. remember that night on, on TV we spent with Dave Sanborn. Right, like right, a, right. Like rehearsing all over again from three in the morning. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about the Mingus band. I know that was also kind of an important landing mm. point for you as a musician, as a soloist. What was what was that like? And uh, and it's still an association that you have to this day. Yeah, uh, Mingus band is an, you know it's a very incredible step in my career. It's incredible music, first of all, and uh, I joined Mingus band. In 1995, uh, I think Randy Breaker recommended me for his sub, and Sumingus liked what I did, and she asked me to come next Thursday. At the time, it was in, in a fest in Time Cafe in mm -hmm. downtown. Mm -hmm. And that time, Mingus Big Band used to work a lot. It was tours one after another. In Europe and Asia, especially in the United States, you can live, make a living by playing Mingus Band only. And also musicians was incredibly high profile, high, high level, like Gary Bars, Steve Touré, and um, Conrad Hervik, Randy played all the time in the band, Dr. Eddie Henderson, <laughs> John <laughs> Stavlerfield, John Hicks. It was like unbelievable. Dave Taylor and trombone always. And, Steve Slagle, I think, yeah, Kenny Drew Jr. sometimes played piano, Dave Kikowski, mm. Jim Jackson. It was incredible connection. I, I tried to connect with all, all, some of this musician very, you know, deep, and, and it actually led to the next step. To We got together with some of them in, in you know, in small settings, play different kind of music, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you mentioned Conrad Herwig, one of my all-time favorite trombone players, and uh, and a, a dear friend of mine, and a guy I've been inspired by for uh, for for decades now. But I know you've recorded uh, many many things with Conrad. I guess that was the the beginning stages yeah. of your relationship with him uh, yeah. through the Mingus Band. Yeah, actually, we start play together with Galevans Orchestra and oh, Mingus okay. Band at the same time, and yeah, it's lead to our friendship. I remember he. First time he called me to do his recording back in 1999 and see universe for crisscross. Mm -hmm. This actually helped me to connect with crisscross guy with Jerry Tiggins. Mm -hmm. This was my introduction to him, and seeing that it was a lot of things with Conrad. Now I'm playing his band, like inside of whoever, like Joe Henderson or Horace Silver. Recently recorded with Michelle Camille, mm -hmm. and we have some concerts coming up in, in June, some festivals in Rochester, just festivals somewhere else. 
Oh, sweet. That's, That's great. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to uh, checking that out. Let's talk about a couple of um, really seminal, I think, it's hard to call them gigs because it's you were an integral part of the groups, but then these two gentlemen in particular are are uh, just legendary figures and very, very important figures in the history of jazz. But um, let's talk about your relationship with Michael Brecker. Um, sadly, he's not with us anymore, but uh, his inspiration and in music certainly uh, is going to live on for decades and decades. Uh, um, but maybe uh, talk a little bit about that. I think the Quintet maybe was the first time mm -hmm. he started working with him. What the Wide Angle CD, an amazing CD that Gil uh, Gil Goldstein did the uh, arrangements for. But maybe you could talk about your yeah. relationship with Mike. It was the deepest experience of, of my life to be around Michael Breaker for for I would say for three four years with various things actually. And I met Michael first time. Again, when Randy asked me to do sub, I remember I was, for some reason, I was in London, and uh, and they supposed to play a concert, Michael Brecker and Don Elias and Randy Brecker, at some Queen Hall or whatever, mm -hmm. and Randy couldn't make rehearsal. And uh, he find out I'm in London. I said, Alex, and Gil Golsi was, uh, of course, he was con conducting and uh, coordinating this project. And they asked me to do rehearsal with Michael. It was a whole day rehearsal. I have the chance to play a lot of solos, to play next to Mike and hear his jokes and everything. <laughs> and it was incredible, you know. And then shortly after that, Gil called me and he said, Michael wants you in his new project, is Quindictet. Uh, and uh, that's how it started. It was very deep rehearsals and deep recording and we play several I think we play Week at Iridium uh, and then Mike asked me to join his sextet and go to Japan it was a month tour his sextet and quintet at the same time mm. and then it was European tour like a month with a, with a small group and, and a quintet as well some concerts and various festivals in, in Carnegie Hall and Playboy Jazz Festival. It was a lot of different... And of course, for me, staying next to him, you know, I, I remember I was... I remember every second up until now, you know. And first of all, I was shocked when I first was staying next to him. In, I remember my first concert with a small group was <coughs> in Blue Note, Nagoya in Japan. And we play one of his compositions, I think Slings and Arrows. And he played first solo, and my right arm started getting numb. <laughs> because I, I clearly, I didn't know what to do, what I'm going to do next. Like, <laughs> I, he plays so incredibly wonderful and, and deep, and, and I don't know what I'm going to do. But I was lucky because so, he, solo he took, it was like 10 minutes long. So during this 10 minutes, I really kind of sing through, okay, relax. And I was telling <laughs> to myself, come on, chill. You know, he, he invited you for a reason. Probably he likes something, at least something with what I play. Okay. So I kind of self-calm myself, and by the end he finished solo, I was fine. So <laughs> yeah. And of course, I have a great chance to hang out with him outside of music and we, I remember in Europe you know, some guys like to chill in the days and times off and we, we used to take a walk in Italy like some long walks and I have tons of pictures from some beautiful places and talk about stuff and and, and I remember his last email like maybe a few days before he passed away I remember those walks mm. That's so beautiful. it was very yeah. deep yeah. it was an amazing uh, just as a person too, I know uh, the, the half dozen to eight or ten times, whatever it was that I got to play with him and, and be around him. He was just such an inviting and and humble person for, so, for such humble. a genius. And and uh, it's what a lesson for all of us. I mean, yeah. and, and that's an amazing uh, experience. And and for those of you, just to be super clear, um, definitely worth checking out if you don't know the Wide Angles uh, CD with the Quintet. Very cool music um, and. Uh, uh, really uh, something worth checking out. 
Well, let's talk about another seminal figure in your life and in the world of jazz, and you've worked with him in, in his big band and his small groups, that would be uh, Dave Holland. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dave is definitely similar, I would say, as deep as, as, deep as Michael. I would say right away, it was three super deep moments so far. In my New York life, it was uh, Michael Breaker, Dave Holland, and Gonzalo Rubalcaba, mm. who really opened a lot for me and gave me a lot of confidence mm -hmm. and, and let me grow, grow up, and understand a lot of things. So Dave was definitely one of them. Uh, I remember back in 2000, I got a phone call from him directly, and he asked me to join his big band. At the time, it's a brand new project. And later I find out Robin Eubanks recommend me to him. Just thanks, Robin. And and this band went on a high level right away. We record CDs. We start travel immediately. We record second CD. Both CD got the Grammys, and it was a lot of a lot of a lot of tours, like a month long. Each mm, a nice. lot of single concert. It was music was incredible. It's a, it's a big band with a small group mentality, which actually inside of this big band was his quintet, which is Bill Kilson at the time, Steve Nelson, Chris Potter, and Dave and Robin Eubanks. So th they kept the big band together, and music was incredible, mostly Dave songs. And um, later Dave came out with the idea of making an octet, which is like a smaller version of big band, but completely different completely different music. Uh, and later it was his project Sextet, uh, featuring Malcolm Miller and Eric Harland, mm. mm -hmm. uh, Antonio Hart, myself, and Robin Eubanks, and Dave. It was completely different music. So the, the, I was involved in three different projects with Dave, and all of them got kind of extended time to, you know, we, we travel, we, we record CDs, uh, each one was recorded. Mm -hmm. Actiat was live in Berlin and Sextiat was recorded in the studio. Yeah, and I remember Dave, he's the one who actually really gave me the most confidence. Because I, I want to explain you one thing. When you come in from Russia to New York, you always have this you always feel a little bit uptight because um, I'm not really American. I can, mm. I'm like, I'm from Russia, I cannot swing. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, you know? And uh, and actually Dave helped me to overcome this. Come on, just everything is good, you know? Yeah. You know, I work with few trumpet players in my life. You, you're one of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, okay. So. Well, that's a great lesson. Well. This is particularly important times, but uh, that's what America is, is, is this you and me and everybody from everywhere. So to yeah, me, it's, it's inclusive of, uh, of everyone, but I can certainly understand, especially in New York, uh, it has that way of making you feel, uh, it, you know, it can of intimidate course. you as a city, you know. Um, but, uh, especially in, in the beginning, you visit in some jam session where you really feel this pressure to who is who. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't attend that. A lot of gym sessions, but it wasn't some of them, you know. And it's sometimes it's scary. I mean, yeah, sure. You, know, you, you cannot overcome yourself going to the station play. <laughs> but uh, talking about back in the 90s. Yeah, sure, but, sure. Yeah, well, let's talk about maybe shift gears a little bit and talk about your, your work as a solo artist. Um, you're extremely prolific, and I think uh, I was in the research, it looked like maybe close to 20 CDs, but certainly over 15 CDs at this point. You've also worked, of course, with a group, I would call it a super group, Opus 5. Um, and um, But maybe talk about how that evolved. You touched on it a little bit with your relationship with Criss Cross, but, uh, mm -hmm. but how, did that, uh, how did that evolve for you, and, and where, are you, where are you headed with it? Uh, first of all, uh, it started from... Uh, Back in, like in, in the middle nineties, you know, be, before you record CD, you have to come up with some kind of concept, with some kind of composition, with some kind of a style. And what really helped me uh, to found my own thing it's uh, hanging with uh, certain musicians. Uh, those guys was Dave Beanie, Scott Cowley, Adam Rogers, 
mm-hmm. and sometimes Chris Potter. We we get together and play. Just get together and play some jam session in Scott Callis' apartment. It used to be on 72nd Street, Riverside Drive, mm-hmm. and I would say Dave Beanie was one of my first te- teacher who really introduced me to many different kind of music including some Brazilian stuff, including some New York modern at the time, odd meters. He was writing non-stop, I remember, every night he was writing. I always look at him, I cannot do anything like that. But by, uh, and I, I got invited to play some gems, which e- each of those guys bring some composition, which gave me a really good example. All they trying to do something, why don't I, I try to do something too? And I remember finally, maybe a year or two later, I wrote my first composition. I brought it to rehearsal and it it wasn't bad. It was kind of, and they encouraged me, come on, develop further, further. And maybe three years later, I record my first CD, which came, came out on TCB labels, Swiss label, with the same guys who we've been getting together with Adam Rogers, Dave Bainey, Scott Cowley, Jeff Hirschfeld, mm-hmm. and Chris Potter. And it was my first experience, which of course, I remember my feelings, once you record first CD, you're completely disappointed, you're completely <laughs> bummed out, it's terrible, it's like, this make me think a lot. And I remember Adam Rogers told me, man, this is your step, just, that's a good departure, just time to move on. And I was thinking about, I was practicing, I was practicing writing, and, and at the time, in 2000, when Jerry Tickens called me to uh, and asked me why to do a record for me. I was kind of ready for next step. And and then a year later, next step, two years later, next step. In each time I record CD for for Jerry Tickens, for Chris Cross, I try to really break to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And they followed, really helped me mentally and taught me how, how not to be afraid to take some steps, to take some risks. Mm-hmm. When I, I remember this one experience with Dave, we record a couple of takes of one song and I play solo. One take I play very safe and good and I like this take. But ne- next take I was trying to reach somewhere and I made some mistakes and cracked some notes. And Dave said, this is this is a take I wanna have on CD. I said, why? There's some new stuff you're trying to reach somewhere you've never been before. So, and I kind of developed this concept so each time I do new project, new CD, I just want to try something new. It's only way to, you know, find new style. And then I check my CDs, and it's definitely they they all kind of different. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say they're great, <laughs> but it's definitely. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say they're great. You know, everybody. <laughs> one thing I can tell everybody play amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I just recently did my new one, and just finished mix yesterday actually oh well congratulations it's really everybody take care of business so that's fantastic who's on the new cd again gris potter and will winson myself as a horn section uh eric harland janice creed Mm -hmm. and uh, matt brewer Rhythm section. Awesome. Well, I look forward to so that. Do you have a title for the CD yet? Or? Not yet, actually. I'm, I'm okay. thinking about it right now. But okay. It must be come, come out today. Anybody have mm-hmm. any suggestions? Contact yeah. him now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I wanted to ask you about, because I had the good fortune of playing one of your tunes when we were on the faculty at, uh, at Tonica in uh, Guadalajara, which was, uh, I learned a valuable lesson that day. Don't follow Alex Sipiagan on em- up-tempo tunes of any type. It's not going to go well Come for, on, you. <laughs> not for you. Maybe for, maybe for Conrad it's fine, but not for me. But anyway, I remember playing one of your tunes and just how beautiful the tune was, but also the complexity of it and the sophistication was really... Uh, I, I was inspired and, and, uh, and really impressed by the, the level of, of uh, mm. composition. Is that... Um, it's it, just like your improvisation it seems so fluid and natural to me but i'm sure that it's been a process as you just described but how how would you look at yourself in terms of the compositional element and i know you just described it a little bit from the inspiration you got from dave holland but there's some yeah m- inspiration in one thing but uh, like you mentioned improvisation for me improvisation and composition kind of it's it's very close to each other you know uh uh most of my composition, I would say, came from shading on, on trumpets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, try to 
improvise on uh, on certain subject, develop some phrase in some other direction, and sometimes you like you, you get some melody out of your practicing routine, and it's really giving me the beginning of the idea of my composition. Later I can sit on piano and, and, and develop, but but first idea first comes from from practicing mm -hmm. hmm. from and when when you practice in the right way what, not just to do in routine what everybody somebody told you to do you have to do this and this you know i i from the beginning i like to choose what i want to practice i want to uh, choose my favorite phrase i want to work on i want to choose my favorite scale my favorite pattern my favorite transcription like really things i really love then I combine them together and start put them together. You know, when you love all those things, it's definitely end of the day something good comes out, some good melodies, some good colors. Like, oh man, this combination of chords or, mm. or once you get the beginning of composition, that, that's it. You you already, you know, you, once you have experience writing more and more, you know, you know where to go. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. Oh, that's good advice. It, I know we had uh, the great Tim Hagens was a, a guest, of, mm. uh, I guess a year and a half ago or something like that. But he talked about being around Thad Jones when Thad was in wow. uh, Denmark and how similar though. But he would he would have he would go into his writing room when he'd go see Thad and, and Thad all he had in there was his trumpet mm. and a lot of his ideas came from from the trumpet and a lot of his counterpoint and all the you know yeah much that, of the that's writing. why when he plays his band which I do occasionally. Uh, it's so comfortable and fingers moving so fluently, you know, <laughs> because that throws on trumpet. I mean, well, let's uh, let's shift a little bit and talk about your your work as a teacher. I know you uh, uh, have the position at NYU, but you're also uh, very busy worldwide as a as a guest artist and as a in residencies. You mentioned uh, you're just uh, starting at Amsterdam Conservatory mm -hmm. as well as your work in in Switzerland. Um, and I know even firsthand from when we, we worked together in, in Guadalajara how uh, you and I had adjoining or close, rooms that were mm -hmm. close to each other and there were much fewer trombone players. But I, I remember all the trumpet players would always come out just completely energized and the next day yeah. they'd be looking for what you were going to teach them. But maybe talk a little bit about your approach to teaching and, and, uh, and the work you've been doing. Yeah, first of all, uh just a few words. I started teach back in, I would say, in like 2003 or four, and I, I had a chance to go to uh, Prince Klaus Conservatory, Groningen in Holland as mm. a resident, like four times a year. Yuri Stepe, his director, was there. so mm. he's uh, one who gave me this opportunity to get my teaching chops slowly build up. So, and this really helped me to to you know, try to teach in other places, and now I feel much better <laughs> than 15 <laughs> years ago. Anyway, but uh, about, you know, uh, about teaching process, I'm, I'm just trying to come from what I really know myself, from my own experience. Um, of course, I'm trying to look at everybody else and try to learn some other methods, try to look some other improvisation method or some pentatonic whatever it is but I, I s most things I'm getting from my own experiences because I, I clearly see what works what doesn't work when I practice and when I produce in music mm -hmm. and uh, of course when I practice with the brass players I spend a lot of a lot of effort a lot of time on technique and I'm sure so brass players noise was this about and unfortunately, in nowadays, it, it's less and less actually very strong brass players all over the world. And not, not, uh, I talk in some Russian colleges, I talk to in Europe and in Asia and in America. It's not as many strong chops, trumpet players or trombone players as used to be. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I spoke to a great friend of mine, Sergei Nakaryakov. He's the greatest classical cat mm -hmm. all the time. So he has the same opinion. Anyway, um, so we try to, uh, I, I have a, basically I don't want to describe this method. It's, it's a bunch of exercises, mostly built on 
what, what my teacher who I mentioned before mm -hmm. showed me in the beginning is develop strong ambassure and in most important idea to find your own sound you know if you have a s strong ambassure and you have a good airflow you have a energy you're in good physical condition that's that's a that's a that's already huge you know Th this is where so you, you, you can yeah. find you can find your own sound and once once you find your own sound you can do the music you know so i'm trying to you know when i practice with the students uh, i try to find a personal approach to each of them as, as close as i can mm -hmm. and sometimes it's worked very well i mean i, I have some students who actually did a good improvement <laughs> i mean i i they really did that's cool yeah well i know uh seeing those kids come out of the uh, the room in, uh, in in guadalajara i felt like god let me go in that room tomorrow and uh, check out with you but I, i'll do i will give a, a shameless commercial plug that alex is going to do a couple lessons for our hip bone you series uh, when we get done with the interview here so uh, so stay tuned for those i'm really psyched to see those uh, as a brass player myself so Let's talk a little bit. I think we'd be remiss in not talking about equipment uh, as uh, as brass players. It's so important for all of us uh, in terms of what we're playing. But maybe uh, describe uh, describe what equipment you use and uh, and how maybe how it's evolved if it's evolved over the years. Yeah, uh, I would say first part of my career, exactly half. I played on a Bach Stradivarius instrument, mm -hmm. which I really enjoyed. And actually, this Bach was presented by Clark Terry after this competition. It was oh, my wow. prize. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> after I <laughs> get through the final. And um, about 10 years ago, I got introduced to Yamaha. Uh, I think Brian Lynch from one side and Robin Newman from another side. But somehow I got introduced to those people and tried the instrument, and I really loved it. Mm. And I'm playing this uh, Yamaha LA my model designed by Wayne Bargeron, mm -hmm. who's an incredible, incredible trumpet player. And it's a really nice horn. You can play lead, you can play jazz, it could be dark, could be bright. And, and most important, I use a big mouse pieces. It's a Bach Megaton 1B. Wow, that and, is a big uh, mouse piece, huh? And my, I remember my teacher, my teacher's theory, the classical teacher was, you know, the bigger mouthpiece, the more muscles involved, the more varieties of create some colors you have, you know, more variety of colors you can create. And uh, eventually it's gonna help you to develop your high register. And I try to follow his exercises, which mostly based on pedal tones. It's wow. really, um, it's incredible. I don't know if it's uh, appropriate to talk about it right now, but it's it's basically pedal tones. If you perform pedal tones in the right way, it makes your body completely relax and find a center of relaxation and feel very comfortable. And once you find this point, you start slowly bring it up to the next register going higher and higher and still come back to pedal tones so at some point all idea to even up all this register between high and, and low so it so feels the same and if you per perform the exercise especially in a big mouse piece it really works wow you know and that, that's interesting is pedal i mean unlike like trombone they're actual pedal tones but trumpet doesn't they're they're kind of more like false tones right would you say or you would actually consider them to have actual pedal tones that, that are you know pedal tones is only for exercise i mean you, you never yeah. you never use this on, yeah. the, on the playing level but all idea to perform pedal tones with the same exactly ambassure which you perform in middle register nothing changed and hmm. it, it finds a relaxation point when nothing bothers you no, no pressure on your neck and your, your body po uh, absolutely relax and just slowly go up and you're going to see improvement hmm. in a few days actually hmm. Hmm. it's it's a really powerful exercise interesting that's cool very cool well i wanted to as we kind of wind down with a couple more questions i was wondering if and you've talked even I mean, you've done so much incredible work throughout your career and and there's going to be much more to come but um are there uh 
Are there a handful of uh, projects that might be your favorites that you've done and you're most proud of in terms of uh, your involvement or your work, either as a player, as a composer, or a band leader? Or yeah, it's a lot of uh, amazing projects. I was lucky to be part of, like I mentioned, this project Opus 5, which came out. We all play with Mingus Band at some point and in different times and the same times. I'm talking about Seamus Black, myself, uh, Boris Kozlov, Donald Edwards, and Dave Kikaski. And we come up with idea, this idea, right? It was exact point when we got the sound between five of us. Like it sounded really like we played forever. Hmm. And we started to develop this concept and it was incredible. I mean, we all contribute our own music, especially for this project. It's it's totally different music, which I usually write for my projects, but it's also part of me, you know. Another project I was involved, which is really incredibly valuable for me, it's uh, Gonzalo Rubalcaba. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember I got recommended by Mike Rodriguez to do sub for him, everything subs, you know. And <laughs> it's, it's, at some point, we ended up working together, and he actually uh, asked me to join his label, and I record CD for his label, also with him and Dave, was mm. Dave Holland was part of it. And shortly after, he asked me to record his CD, which is com really complicated music, but beautiful, based on Cuban modern rhythms. So wow. it, it was a lot of project, like like really incredible. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. This is a question that's, that's somewhat wide, and I'll avoid getting into my political commentary, but um, you know, especially to me, for us as musicians to grow, we need everybody to be inclusive of everybody from everywhere. From and you just mentioned projects that you've been involved in in Cuba and, you, and Russia and all that. That to me is what music is about. It's about what evolution as a human being is about. Um, and I have tremendous issues with what's going on right now in the United States. But that said, I was curious because you've had so much success and and. Um, a lot of it is there's just so many elements you're like uh, just a great guy to be around you're a phenomenal musician you just have so many elements that create success but um, if you were to say to somebody from Russia right now a young person or it doesn't have to be Russia it could be from anywhere in Europe or Japan or wherever that's thinking of well I want to be I want to be a musician I want to be Alex Sapiag and I'm going to move to New York and uh, and try to find my path in this in this world um, what would you say to them? What would kind of advice and what, uh, as you look back, you, you mentioned Dave Holland helped you, uh, you know, evolve in that in that role. But um, how would you look at that? Well, I would probably say different things to all of them. It depends on the level and personality and character. You know, s you know, some of the guys I clearly see it's a little bit too early going into New York. For some of them, a little bit too late. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But for some of them, I really clearly recommend it, not, don't lose the time and go right now. You know, mm. it's really personal approaches. But uh, what I say to all of them, all the, all the students, you have to feel this energy at least once to come to New York and go to the clubs and and visit some lessons and just put yourself in the, inside of this crazy environment, like <laughs> the atmosphere. It's never. Uh, you cannot find anything like that anywhere. So you have to try it at least once. Mm -hmm. but, but when you first came, did you think, or not when you first came, but when you decided after you were with the, the band, of the studio band that was opening the restaurant, did you feel like I'm I'm staying in New York for the rest of the time? Or no, uh, like, like I said, it was step by step. I I decided to spend one more month see what's going to happen. And, you know, I got invited to play a couple of gigs. I got in, uh, really interested. I, I remember it was a jam session at the time in Visionos every, every Monday. Dr. Eddie Henderson was leading, and he let us play more a lot. So, and after a few months, I, I realized, how can I be possibly going back to Russia right now? That's my life. Mm-hmm. I mean... Then I still didn't decide to stay forever. I still extend my stay for another three months. Then I apply for extension. It, it was kind of step by step. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I, when I look back, oh my God, I'm actually 
living here. <laughs> actually, that's it. <laughs> well, I, I think I can speak for the entire New York music community. We're grateful that you're uh, that you stayed oh, and that you're I'm here so and, and contributing here. so much uh, in so many incredible ways. As we wind down, just I know you touched on you just finished mixing your new CD. Uh, you've got some concerts coming up in the in the summer with Conrad. What what uh, what else is on your plate coming up in the next uh, months and maybe year or so? Uh, well, one of the interesting things I uh, I became art director of of my hometown jazz festival, which is oldest Russian jazz festival, like uh, about forty years old. My like remind my my hometown Yaroslavl is mm -hmm. the oldest city, and it's very close to Moscow. And uh, it's very huge step for me. Like I look at the guys, like gr great friend of mine, I wish I can trumpet player mm -hmm. who who came back to Tel Aviv and developed his scene over there, and he's still here and there. And for me, it's a big step to kind of try similar things. So I'm I'm, I'm bringing New York jazz into my hometown. So this time, Chris Potter Quartet is going to be there, and that's awesome. And Ari Horning gonna come with me so it's gonna be really incredible this one was a project one of the side projects mm, uh, that's exciting saying, you know. fantastic on, on, another, on, on another end I am getting ready for my quartet tour which uh, I'm going to Asia in May with my quartet David Gilmore guitar and Donald Edwards and Boris Kozlov going to Korea and China awesome. and, and recently we've been there performing Blue Note Benjin that's very nice. So. That's awesome. Well, we'll all look forward to uh, keeping keeping track of Alex Sipiagin and uh, look for his new CD. And uh, once again, Alec, it's just been a, just been a pleasure. And uh, thank you so much for uh, making the long trek oh. up to New City. And uh, it's it's just it's been great. And we look forward to uh, to all your great work coming up. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate it. We will see all of you next time on Bone to Pick. <laughs> Thank you.